Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm so glad to see you this morning. Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, We are in the series now that's going to take us all the way to Easter, a sermon series entitled Man of Sorrows. We're focusing on Christ, simply looking at Jesus. And today in John chapter 11, you find one of the most famous Bible verses of all because it's the shortest Bible verse of all. What is it? Jesus wept. We see, uh, Jesus wept. I mean, people know that one. That's that's the verse everybody knows. And if you're ever uh, in uh, somehow in in the place of having to to quote a Bible verse, that's the most quotable verse of all. Uh, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Uh, at, at the same time, it doesn't. Because it's the shortest verse doesn't necessarily make it the easiest to understand. In some ways to understand how it is or why it is or even how it could be that the Savior, God in the flesh, could weep. Now, a lot of us as men in this house, we we don't weep. How many of you guys in the room just say, I don't, I won't, I'm not a crier? Any guys? that are not criers. Yeah. Isaiah, you can't make him cry. Yeah. I work with Warren Weeks. You can't make, Warren's not going to cry. I mean, Warren will not cry. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't even think you need to blink. I don't think your eyes make water. I mean, Warren's not going to cry. Rod can cry, but chooses not to. Rod doesn't cry. Matt Betts, I've seen Matt cry one time, and that's just because Bo Jingles, Bo Jangles opened in Franklin. You know, Matt... In Mississippi, you know, Bojangles is like church. And so when Bojangles opened in Franklin, I think Matt cried, you know, over his Bowberry biscuit, <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, I cry all the time and I often wish I couldn't. Um, I, I just cry. I cry in worship. So lots of times before I preach, I, I'm already, I've already been crying. I cry when I preach. Y'all see me do that. Um, I cry in movies. Toy Story 3, I nearly required hospitalization. Um, <laughs> I cry at nearly every wedding I preach. I, I preached a, a, a small wedding yesterday. All of the men were military guys, so they don't cry. They're tough, and I'm up here <laughs> trying to just get through the service. Um, I, I don't want to cry because I think crying makes me look weak. It makes me look womanly. Uh, sometimes I think maybe if I wore one of my mother's you know, menopause patches, it would, it would actually help me. Uh, is there is there menopause? Is that the, is that a thing? Is it? Could I be in menopause? Um, crying is associated with with weakness because if you are crying, it means that you are hurt, either physically hurt, emotionally hurt. But but, but crying is a signal, uh, unless it's you know happy tears, and that's another thing. But but if we're crying, typically crying is a sign of being hurt. And to be hurt means that you are somehow weak, that there is something that has some sort of power over you that could break your heart. You with me? And so most of us avoid tears. We try not to cry. We don't want to cry because it's uh, it's a sign that something has power over us that has broken our heart. Which brings us to the puzzle of John 11, 35. Jesus wept. And Jesus is God in the flesh, which means if you really want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Jesus weeps, that tells us something very, very important about the heart of God. And if God is sovereign and if God is all powerful and if God is that above which there's no one stronger, no name higher, no power that is greater than God's, then how is it that anything could break his heart? How could anything have power over God to in any way hurt him? Yet Jesus weeps. Scripture says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. How does the Son of God cry? 
Let's go to the story, John 11. It's a, maybe the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's one of the longest stories, and I'm not, I'm not going to try to read it all. Just remember that at the beginning of John 11, Jesus gets the word that his friend Lazarus is sick. And not, not just his friend Lazarus, it's, it's, it's the one that he loves. I mean, Scripture makes a special point to emphasize that, that this is a family uh, to which Jesus is very, very close. Mary and Martha are sisters. Lazarus is their brother, and they all live together in a little bitty village called Bethany. And these are the kind of friends. I mean, they were followers of Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They were disciples, you could say, uh, but they didn't leave their house. They seemed to have stayed in their house. And the deal is whenever Jesus is close by, he goes to their house. There are lots of people who follow Jesus, but very few people that it says that Jesus would go to their house. And Jesus would go to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, and Martha would feed him. And Martha was apparently just that woman that you want feeding you. And, and Lazarus is considered one of Jesus' closest friends. He's the one that you love. And Jesus gets the word that Lazarus is sick, but he waits. It's one of those instances of, of Jesus doing something so puzzling, something you never would expect and you can't explain. Jesus doesn't budge. He waits till Lazarus dies and then Jesus shows up. Let's pick up right there when Jesus shows up. Verse 17, Lazarus has been dead now four days and Jesus finally shows up. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to see Jesus. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Second time Jesus has heard those words today. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But, but others said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Mm. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. 
But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with that story. There's just too much there. Let's start with Martha. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here. Now, Martha's a practical woman. You know that. She's the woman that cooks. She's the woman that takes care of the house. Martha's busy. Martha goes at it. That's how she copes. That's how she deals with life. She works through it. She, she stays busy. And so you know how Martha probably was while Lazarus was sick. Now, Martha is the one that sent the word to Jesus, so they would let Jesus know, listen, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is at the point of death. Lazarus is not well. Letting Jesus know is, is implied, the, the, the plea, the, the invitation, it's, it's the request. You've got to come. Now, we have no idea what Lazarus' sickness was, but it killed him. And you know, Martha would have been the one caring for him all, all the time. I mean, Martha is that person. She takes care of people. She cooks. And she cooked trying to get Lazarus to eat, trying to get him to regain some strength. And when he would no longer eat, she fed him ice chips. I mean, that's Martha. That's what Martha would have done. Martha would have been the one to, to turn him. Martha would have been the one to change him. That, that's Martha. That's how Martha deals with the world. And Martha this whole time will be thinking, I've just got to keep him going. I've got to keep Lazarus going till Jesus gets here. I've just got to keep him alive. I've got to keep Lazarus alive till Jesus gets here because Martha knows what Jesus can do. Martha has seen Jesus heal blind eyes and, and make the, the, the crippled to walk. I mean, Jesus has worked miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus is a healer and, and he is their friend. He's not just anybody. He's, he's someone close to them. He eats at their table. They love him. Jesus loves them. And so she knows if Jesus will come, if I can just keep Lazarus going until Jesus arrives, I know what Jesus can do. She keeps looking out. I mean, you know, when you're waiting for somebody, you, you, you do your work, but you just keep looking out the kitchen window, looking up the road, thinking any minute Jesus is going to come. He's, he's going to come. I mean, he always comes, but he doesn't come. And then one day, Lazarus dies. I mean, he dies. Martha does what Martha does. She's no longer caring for a sick body. She is now preparing a dead body. I mean, she's looking a dead body in the face. Have you ever done that? In these days, you don't just call the funeral home to come and zip them up in a black body bag. I mean, the work that has to be done has to be done by somebody like Martha. Have you ever 
rub spices on a cold, dead body? Because Martha has. Have you ever gathered oil and spices to prepare a body for burial? Because Martha has. Have you ever cut bandages? To just cut bandages and rags into strips of cloth so you could wrap a dead body because Martha has. She wrapped her brother Lazarus. Have you ever had men come into your house and carry a dead body out and put it in a grave outside the house because Martha has? That's what they did to Lazarus. They did that, and then whole days go by, day one, day two, day three, day four. I mean, we are now four days into the wake. I mean, the mourners are still there. And then somebody says, now that Jesus is coming. Now they tell her that Jesus is coming. So Martha runs out to meet him. She still loves him. But the first words out of her mouth are, 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 the, are the words that come out of a place of pain. If you'd have been here, I mean, basically she's saying, Jesus, where were you? Where were you? If you had been here, I know that Lazarus would not have died. Where were you? It's an amazing exchange. It's just a strange, strange kind of tension that comes from a woman who knows what Jesus can do, but now has to, has to sort of face the reality of what Jesus has done or, or didn't do. It's a strange place where her faith is now because you can see the, the conflict. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, but even now, I know that God will do anything you ask. I mean, what does that mean? If you'd have been here, I mean, where were you? But, but, but I'm glad you're here now. I, I know that God listens to you. Whatever you ask, you'll do. But, but the question is, Martha, what do you think he's going to do now? I mean, what does Martha think he's going to ask for now? Does she really think that Jesus is coming and is going to raise him from the dead? It really never seems to cross her mind that that's about to happen. You understand? She's seen Jesus do a lot of things, but she's never seen Jesus do anything like this. Even now, I know that God will do whatever you ask, but I don't think she has any idea what Jesus would do now. Jesus told her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Now, Jesus is saying something right there that's amazing. I mean, he's trying to say, Martha, he's going to rise again. I mean, he's, uh, he's giving her a preview to the miracle here. Your brother's going to walk out of there. He's going to rise again. But where Jesus uses this language of miracle, all she hears is a cliche. You know what I mean? Your brother will rise again. And she says, yes, yes, I know, I know. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. You know? I mean, she hears a cliche. Yeah, I know, I know. He'll rise when everybody else rises on that great getting up morning. How do you do? I mean, you know, I mean, she's, she's been to church. She knows he's in a better place. And, and Jesus says something amazing. Your brother's going to rise again. And she says, I know, I know, I know he's in a better place. And we'll understand it better by and by. I know. You see, it's a cliche. Jesus says these words of life and truth and hope. And she just hears a cliche. Now, she believes it, but does she really believe it? It's a good question for all of us in this house, everybody in the sound of my voice, cafe. I mean, you're believers, right? But do you really believe what it is you believe? How do you even know? I mean, we all believe that Jesus has the power to work miracles, but sitting here in the pew, you say you believe it. But what about when you're in the situation and you need a miracle? Do you still believe 
We believe that Jesus can raise the dead. But like Martha, do you still believe it? After you've rubbed spices on a cold, dead body, after you've stared death in the face, do you really believe what you believe? Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I remind you the Harris rule of biblical interpretation. Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not because there's something he doesn't know. So when Jesus says, Martha, do you believe? It's not because he doesn't know. Martha needs to understand some things. Martha needs to believe what she believes. You understand? She's got to really come to grips with whether or not she believes or doesn't believe. What does she say? Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you. I believe in you. It's an interesting exchange. At first she says, I know that God will do whatever you want him to do. But now she's she's changed what she's saying. It's not so much about what what Jesus is going to do. She just says, I just believe in you. Notice Jesus doesn't promise, okay, I'm going to fix this thing right here. I don't think Martha understands that. She doesn't understand what's about to happen. She has no idea what, what Jesus is about to do next. But when her faith is crushed and, and when, when, when push comes to shove, Martha comes down to the very bottom of her heart. What it is she believes? And she just simply says, Jesus, I believe you. Well. Yeah. You have to trust him. Martha says, I just believe in you. I I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the son of the living God. I believe you. I guess the first question out of this text this morning is for you. And the question is, what's it going to take to make a true believer out of you? What's it going to take to bring you to the place where you stop just simply uh, blaming Jesus, blaming all your pain upon him? Or what's it going to take to get you past the point where you're just saying, well, you know, if Jesus had done this for me, What's it going to take to get you past all of the ways that Jesus has disappointed you and all the things that you haven't understood? What's it going to take to get you back to the place where you just simply say, Jesus, I trust you. I don't understand. I don't have any idea what's about to happen, but Jesus, I believe in you. You say you believe. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Because when you stand in front of a gaping tomb, suddenly you have to really come to grips with what it is you believe and who you trust. I believe in you, Jesus, Martha says. Let's keep going. Let's go. Let's go straight to the tomb because it's just unbelievable. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So that's the second time, the second time within just this much, this much time. It's, just, it's the second time somebody's come up and said that to Jesus. Where were you? Where were you? If you'd have been here, you wouldn't have died. So verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. Now, you've probably read this passage several times, and you know Jesus weeps because he weeps every time. But have you ever noticed how many times it says here that Jesus was so angry? 
There's just this tangle of emotions with Jesus at this tomb. And I, I don't really know how to sort out all of his emotions. It's this deep anger, it says. And that comes first before the tears flow, this anger erupts in him. When he saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. I mean, what is going on in the heart of Jesus here? He sees her crying and he gets angry. Angry at who? Angry at what? I said, I cry easily. If you cry, I cry. That's just how I am. If you cry, I cry. It doesn't even matter if I know what you're crying about. People cry on TV. I cry. People cry. I I cry. But when Jesus sees them crying, something comes up in him and it's first anger. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35. Then Jesus wept. Okay, wept. Wept sounds so tame. That's not even a word we would use. You don't say, you know, the other day, you know, I I hit that possum in the road and I wept. We don't weep. You know, weep. It's like they do that in Shakespeare plays. They weep. But but it sounds like something just sort of, you know, like, you know, just a little, you dab your eye of the tissue, you'll be okay. You know, weep. It, It sounds so tame. It sounds almost kind of beautiful. And so when it says Jesus wept, you probably picture Jesus, you know, in like, like one of those Hallmark movies with just like one tear coming down his cheek. He weeps a little. But no, you understand. The, the words that, that are used here in the Gospel of John to describe Jesus' emotional state, these are dramatic and violent kind of words. Already remember, there are hardly words to describe his anger, the explosion of anger in this man's heart. And then when he weeps, you must not picture just, you know, just a single tear coming out of his eyes. I mean, this is ugly cry. I mean, I don't think there's a Greek word for ugly cry, but he uses all the words that he has to describe an ugly cry. I mean, Jesus has a come apart right here. It's not something that you'd have to be standing right beside him to notice. I mean, realize when he starts crying, everybody starts talking about it. You ever been at a funeral when somebody just breaks down and all of a sudden, I mean, everybody backs up and and, and the the focus is on the person who is now just having this emotional come apart because that's what happens here. It's not just a little tear here. Jesus comes apart. And people start talking, oh my goodness, he must have really loved him. I mean, they have to explain the tears somehow. You don't see a man cry like this very often. Jesus comes unglued. It's not just that this, you know, pretty little tear coming down his cheek. Jesus weeps. I mean, he is wailing. He is moaning. This is something that people have never seen before. Start explaining. Look how much he loved Lazarus. You know, bless his heart, he must have really loved this man. I mean, Jesus is just in in, in, in pieces. Then other people talking too, though, what are they saying? Yeah, look at him cry. Look at him cry. What's he crying for? Man, if he'd have been here, he opened blind eyes, didn't he? What's he crying for? What's he crying for? thought he was a miracle. or thought he was some kind of healer. What's he crying for? If he'd been here, he could have kept him from dying. If he loved him, why didn't he heal him? Yeah. And Jesus goes to the tomb. Verse 38, still crying? Well, it doesn't say that, but it says he's still what? Angry. 
What is all this emotion? It's anger. It's tears. What is it? Why does he cry? I would say he cries because he's God. He cries because he's God. And you have to recognize that as the creator of the universe standing here beside this tomb, I mean, right here on display is everything wrong with the world. Sickness and death and broken hearts and tears and funerals. I mean, everything that God never intended to be a part of his good creation. Understand that? Everything that he never intended. I mean, the creator of heaven and earth is standing here in the middle of this broken planet. And of course he weeps. He's God. He's God. He never intended death. He never intended heartbreak. He never, ever intended the death of dreams. He never intended sickness. He never intended suffering. He never, ever intended for a sister to have to rub spices on the cold body of her brother. He never intended any of that. So he cries because he's God. He cries and standing right here in the midst of his broken creation is all the brokenness that he didn't intend. He cries because he's God. He weeps because even those who believe in him, I mean, he's God. And and even those who believe in him, they believe in him, but they still blame him for all their pain. I mean, Martha believes, but at the same time she believes, but she still can't keep from saying, but where were you? I believe you. I trust you. But where were you? I mean, you understand that the faith, I mean, the scripture says it's faith that pleases God. It's impossible to please God without faith. But even the strongest, the, the strongest faith that you see anywhere on earth, people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, even their faith is partial and, and somehow complicated by, by doubts and, and fears. I mean, twice now, women who love and women who believe in and come up and say, where were you if you'd have been here? And, and these guys. God. You understand that? He's God. And and he looks for faith and and he longs for faith. And there's just not a lot of faith in a place like this. Not a lot of faith standing before the, the tomb of a man dead four days. There's just not much faith there. And he's God. He weeps because he's God. And, and, and even those with strong faith have weak faith. He weeps because he's God. He weeps because he's God. And since he's God, he knows the hearts of people. He knows the hearts of the ones saying he healed blind people. What's he crying about now? He didn't even come and and heal his own friend. Why did he let him die? If he loved him so much, why did he let him die? Jesus knows those thoughts. He also knows that in this crowd of people are people who will be standing around in just a few weeks saying, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knows that he's God. He weeps because he's God. He weeps because he's standing before a tomb where a man's been dead four days and Jesus knows he'll be in a tomb just like that. Not too many weeks from now. He's God. He weeps because he's God. And he weeps because he knows that these people are not going to stay with him. They're not going to be faithful to him. They will turn on him. He weeps because he's God. And he knows, and he sees the brokenness of creation. It's not brokenness that he intended, and yet he gets all the blame for it. He weeps because he's God. And when he weeps, he demonstrates to us. He shows what's what the heart of God is like. In other words, of all the big, broken, weeping hearts in creation, God's is the biggest broken heart there is. 
Brother John was walking this morning. I said, Brother John, pray for him. And preached on Jesus wept today. Brother John said, yeah, he still does. He still weeps. Because the world is still broken. And because people like you and me, we have faith, but it fizzles and, and, and it's mixed with doubt and, and fear. And, and he weeps because he knows that we praise him today. We'll turn on him tomorrow. He weeps because he's God. And of all of the hearts, there's no heart so big and broken as God's own heart. But make no mistake, he, he weeps because he's human. He's human. You might say, why is he weeping? He's about to bring him back from the dead. I mean, I mean Jesus of all people knows where Lazarus is. And, I mean, and we all say he's in a better place, but Jesus knows the better place. I mean, he knows Lazarus is doing okay. I mean, he knows all of that. But, but, but when you lose somebody you love, knowing all of that does not take the pain away. How many funerals have we preached here at Woodburn Baptist Church? How many of you women have buried your husbands? And you know, you, you know that he's with the Lord. You know that he's in heaven, but it doesn't take the pain away. It gives you hope. Jesus weeps because he's human. He, he weeps because Lazarus was his friend. He weeps because other people weep. He, he, he weeps because he's human like you. He cries tears like you. Weeps because his heart is broken. So he goes over to the tomb. He says, roll back that stone. <laughs> What's Martha say? I love it, y'all. The king, y'all, y'all know one of my favorite verses in the Bible is not so much Jesus wept, but what comes after it. I really, really love, um, I love verse 39 in the King James Bible where Martha says what? He stinketh. Yeah. Yeah, Martha, you know, she's the one that said, I believe you. I believe in you. And Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. And she said, I believe you. I believe in you. But when Jesus says, roll back the stone, she says, uh, that's going to stink. I mean, Martha knows. I need to remind you, she knows. She, she was with that body. And she put it in there, rolled that stone. And she loved her brother, but she ain't going to love the stink. You understand? I mean, there are reasons why there's a stone there. There's a reason why she packed that body with spices. You know, I mean, like she's pouring all of the, you know, all the heaven sin or whatever, she, you know, the, you know, Febreze. I mean, she's, she knows the stink that's coming. And that's why you do that as fast as you can. You put the body in the grave. And she also knows who Jesus is and she knows what Jesus can do. And Jesus already said, your brother's going to rise again. And now Jesus is rolled back the tone and she says, wait, that's going to smell. It's going to stink. Okay, real simply, I don't think I need a whole sermon here, but just let me say this to you. At any moment in your life when Jesus wants to stir up a stink, let him. Let him. You don't like to be disturbed, do you? You don't like to have your routine interrupted. You don't like anything to happen that might cause you discomfort. Lord Jesus, you can do that, but that's, gonna, that's really going to stink for me. And you don't want anything to stink for you. You don't want anything to disturb the beauty and comfort and pleasantness of your life, but you don't understand. You're not going to see the glory of God demonstrated in your life if you never, ever let Jesus stir up a little stink. Let him.
Just let him. Whatever he wants to do in your life, whatever you think that's going to mean for you in, in, in the short term, you just let him. You just let him. Martha, he's going to stink. Just, just let it be. You let Jesus do what Jesus is going to do. You said you trusted him. Now trust him. Amen. You with me? You say you trust him. Now just trust him. You let him do what he's going to do. You're not going to understand it because you're not God. You're not Jesus. You don't see. You don't know. But you trust him. You just trust him. If he wants to stir up a stink in your life, you let him. What does Jesus say? It's absolutely beautiful. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. The dead man's sister protested. But Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? That's the second time that's come up in this passage. If you go back to the very, very beginning, when the word first comes that Lazarus is sick, Jesus says in verse 4, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. I mean, he said it from the beginning. It's sitting about Lazarus dying. It's not even going to end with, with the dead man here. We're not, going, we're not going to finish with a corpse. We're going to finish with the glory of God on display. But understand, to, to get there, you've you got to go by the tomb, and, and you, you've got to let the stench of the tomb burn your nostrils. You understand, you don't get to the glory of God and bypass the, the smell of the tomb. It, it doesn't work that way. And I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. Lazarus, come out, he shouts. Come out. Can you even imagine? I mean, people freaking out. I mean, in Sunday school, you've heard this story so many times, and it was on a flannel board, and there was nothing scary about it. But have you ever been to a funeral that ended like this? I heard a young pastor say once, he said, you know, you, you know, I, I was about to preach my first funeral and I thought, I want to learn from Jesus. So I went back and I read all of the funerals where Jesus was and Jesus never, ever preached a funeral sermon. Every funeral Jesus attended, he broke it up. <laughs> Seriously, in scripture, every time Jesus goes to a funeral, there's no funeral sermon. I mean, the dead man walks out, funeral over. Have you ever seen one in like this? I mean, what would you do? I mean, what would you do at the next funeral if in the middle of everything, the dead body just sort of... <laughs> you better be hoping you're wearing your brown pants. You know what I mean? I mean, if you just... <laughs> Can you even imagine? Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes on out. Jesus says, loose him, let him go. What is the glory of God? What's the glory of God? Because one way or another, this whole story is about the glory of God. There's something frustrating in a way about, about Jesus using human pain to display his glory. He does the same thing in your life too. He'll do the same thing in your pain. And, and sometimes we just think, God, is it, is, it, is it worth it? I mean, why do I have to go through this just so you get glory? It, it's not that God wants glory. It's just that you need to know that he's glorious because he is glorious. And if you don't see him in his glory, then you don't see him. You understand? 
In a small way, I could say it this way. If you never have a problem, you'll never know that God can solve them. And if you never have a big problem, you'll never know that you have a big God. And if you are never in a situation that requires a miracle, then you will never, ever know that God works miracles. I can't explain it. I just know that God often uses our pain to display his glory. And that's necessary because we need to see his glory. It's not about his feeling glorious. It's about you knowing him and who he is. Martha says, I trust you. You need to trust him, and you need to know the strength and might and glory of the God in whom you are putting your trust. You need to know him. So we read the story, and it seems plain to us. The glory of God is the magnificence of his power. The dead man walks. I mean, that, that, that's absolutely impossible. Been dead four days. It's not one of those you know, situations where they thought he was dead, and then, you know, and, and, and it turns out he wasn't really dead. There was a faint heartbeat. No, four days is a long time, you understand, not to take a breath. Four days is a long, long time, you know, to have spices rammed down your throat and your head all wrapped up in rags. I mean, it's a long, long time to be a dead body. It, it's a miracle. And I mean, this is God's power on display. He has power over death. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me will live. Even though he dies, he will live. I have power over death. Now that's glory. And you need to see him in his power and his magnificence. You need to know what a big God you're praying to. You need to know the glory of Christ, the one you're choosing to follow. You need to know him in his glory. But is that all there is to glory? Just a a God with all of this power in his hands. Is that all glory is? Because something tells me that when Jesus told the disciples, all of this is to reveal the glory of God in me. Maybe at least part of that glory is on display. In John 11, verse 35, when it simply says, Jesus wept. What good is a God with all of this power in his hands if he does not also have a heart of love for us? What good is it to have a God, to pray to a God who is far away in heaven with all of this power, but his heart cannot be moved by your pain? What good is a God whose heart cannot be moved by your pain? Of course he's powerful. Of course there is none greater than this God. Of course there is no, no other God. There is no other power, no other name. He is the highest. He is the greatest, the most glorious. But of all of the things that we learn about God the Father and all of his glory by looking at his son Jesus, God in the flesh, we learn that he weeps. That God's glory is not just this immense power. God's glory is his love. You think your heart knows pain? You think you've known disappointment? You think you've known the smell of the tomb from up close? God knows that too. 
think your heart breaks sometimes in a way that will never be put back together? His heart breaks too. You know that hot, salty taste of your own tears? Jesus knows the taste of tears too. He's a big God. He's a glorious God, and his glory is on display when this dead man walks. But I just want you to consider that his glory is also on display in the Savior's tears. His heart breaks for all the things that your heart breaks. And if you will believe in him, you will see his glory. Pray with me. Jesus, like Martha, our faith is complicated. We believe, and yet somehow, Lord, we don't always believe. It. Um, we believe, we know what you can do, but Lord, our faith is somehow mixed with doubt and, and fear. In reality, so God help us today. Even when we do not understand and even when the stench of the tomb burns in our nostrils and even when the sting of tears uh, burns our cheeks, Lord, help us still yet to say that we trust you, to believe in you, to let you do whatever it is that you choose to do in our lives, Lord, even if for a while it stirs up a stink. Oh, Lord Jesus, just have your way. You have your way. Have your way, Lord God, so that what is dead in us may come back to life. Have your way, Lord God, so that everything broken in this world can be put back together. Have your way, oh God, so that the pain in my life will somehow, somehow be, be turned around to reflect your glory. Lord Jesus, have your way in this world so that one day every tear shall be wiped from every eye. Lord, have your way. We trust you. We believe in you. We trust your power. We trust your love. We trust your tears. Lord, have your way. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who wept for us and weeps today. Amen. Amen. Stand.